Good morning, everybody, man. We, I, I am excited about today because today is the last day of something, and next week is the beginning of a whole new something else, and I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about what's coming next week. I'm excited about August 18th. Everybody say next week. Next week is when we change everything up in here. We are changing all of our, we're changing our service times, we're changing when services are held for different uh, styles and those things. And if you walked by, there are three tables out there with, with your staff members sweating, off, that's where the weight went. It went to them sweating their weight off out there to give you information about what is coming next week. The Come to the Table movement, this is something we've been preparing for for a while. We are changing service times. There will be service times at nine o'clock here in the sanctuary. This will be, if you like this service, if this service is your jam, then you come at nine o'clock. And you're like, seems really early. Um, get over yourself. Jesus was up, he died for you on a cross. You can get up at nine o'clock on a Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Nine o'clock is the contemporary service. It will be in here. We'll, we'll be doing the same thing. It will be the praise band up here as always. Then 10 o'clock, we'll move into this grow hour. And this is a time for small groups, for classes to meet throughout, a time of fellowship down in the gym, uh, the activity center down the other side of campus. A lot of stuff going on there. Um, and then at 11 o'clock, we'll have the traditional service. So if you like 11 o'clock time, and you're like, well, I'm just coming to 11 o'clock because that's when God worships, you know, and Good, good for you. It's going to be liturgy. It's going to be choir. It's going to be Letty leading the choir on that side. That's the 11 o'clock. Then at 6 p.m., we come back for the evening service. It'll be a contemporary service. So the exact same, not the exact same. The sermon's going to be the same at all things. The, the praise team will be a little different at the 6 p.m., but it will be a worship service like this is in contemporary, contemporary in style. Now, I know that, because I hear this all the time, people are like, well, I didn't know when it was happening. You, nobody communicated with me. That is the chief complaint that we get, that all churches get. Well, no one told me, really. We had it in every, everywhere we have talked about this. On all the social medias, all the interwebs have this. It has been in our bulletins. It's been in Tower Notes. If you don't subscribe to Tower Notes, that's on you. Um, see somebody about Tower Notes. And today, we have magnets. Because I know as soon as you leave, you're gonna forget everything that I've said, including my sermon. Like I get, I have no delusions of grandeur. I know when you leave, you're like, hey, what are you talking about today? I don't know, he was funny though. That's all I really care about anyway. <laughs> there are these magnets that you can pick up. Now, at the first service, I threw them into the congregation. And I'm not gonna lie, it was a little dangerous. Because <laughs> they're very sharp. And I came really close to pegging a 94-year-old woman in the eyeball. And at this service, I'm like, they're younger, they're more nimble, they can dodge, duck, dive, and whatever the five rules of dodgeball are. Um, but it's darker. And so I'm having second thoughts about this. <laughs> Even I have a governor, okay? Even I have sometimes where in the voice in my head's like, hey dude, back away from that. I don't always listen to it, but I am going to listen to it now. I cannot hit the balcony, thank you. People in the balcony are like, here it comes, um, yeah. So uh, thank you, Noah. Uh, so yeah, I can't, if you want a magnet, um, there you go, they're in the center aisle. See, even then, I just hit Katie Perkins. Sorry about that. Cut, bleeding from her leg. Where's Mike Magoom? Um, so we have uh, magnets out there. Please pick one up, put it on your refrigerator so that in the morning when you forget everything that I've said today, you can look at your refrigerator and go, oh, hey, yeah, we should go to church uh, on Sunday. And here's the times. So there you go. Uh, that is the information that you need to know. Now. 
Today we finish our series, our summer series, um, on, on 10 extraordinary women. I realize that your bulletins and the screens say 12 extraordinary women, but as we've talked about, if you haven't been here, Troy hates women. Um, Pastor Troy, uh, not all of them, just two of them specifically. Um, and so while he was preaching this summer, he decided to get rid of them. I can't wait until heaven when he gets there and there's these two ladies going, what did we ever do to you, right? Um, why did you have to kill us? So it's all on Pastor Troy. So if you see Pastor Troy, say thanks, Pastor Troy. He's sitting right over there. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so, so we had to get rid of two. That's all right. They were, you know, they're, they're still extraordinary. But we're finishing today on these 12 extraordinary women. And I, I have to tell you, I, I've had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun preparing this whole summer series and, and looking into these, the lives of these women. And, and if you remember way, way, way back when we began at the beginning of summer, we started with Eve, which naturally we should, right? The very first woman, you should begin with her, right? And so we began with this, this time of Eve and the mother of all things and this great thing. And then we've walked through some giants of the Old Testament. And then we got into the New Testament and, and, and some giants of faith, sure, but also some people who just, you're like, who? Who's that? Is that person even in the, even in the Bible? And you're like, well, yeah, she's actually kind of a big deal. And, and so I, I love that. I love bringing these, these people to light, these women to light who have been so strong in, in, in their faith and their stories are so powerful. But a lot of times they just get glossed over because maybe there's only one verse or, or three verses about them, but they're integral to the life of faith. And, and so I hope that you have enjoyed this series and I hope that you have seen in these women um, something of yourself and, and something of, of a challenge maybe to be more who God wants you to be. But today we, we finish with Lydia, who I think is, look, I'm not gonna say she's my favorite of the ladies, um, but she is one of the most powerful for what I do of all of the other women. She, she is the one who really set the marker and. And really the only reason why we are here today is because of Lydia. How many of you knew that? None of you, right? Noah, you were at the first service, that's cheating. Um, so, so yeah, so, so why? What's so special about Lydia? I hope, like me, you have gone to Groucho Marx when I've been saying Lydia. Anybody? Yeah? Lydia, oh Lydia, oh have you met Lydia? Lydia the, none of y'all know it? Lydia the Tattooed Lady. Ah, you know, nobody knows that song? God, okay, how about, are you 90s fans? Lydia, oh Lydia, I wish I didn't get rid of ya. Anybody remember that song from the 90s? This is all I've been doing all week around staff. They're like, what are you preaching on? I'm like, Lydia, oh Lydia, oh have you met Lydia? No? You people kill me. You just take the joy right out of my life when I throw these things. I throw these gems to you, nothing. But I choose joy. And I choose to love Lydia because of who Lydia is. Not the Groucho Marsh or not the obscure 90s band. But who Lydia from the book of Acts is. And who is Lydia, right? Lydia is mentioned in the book of Acts. And if you know the book of Acts, the book of Acts is, is kind of like Luke the sequel, right? It's, it's Luke who writes the gospel stories of Jesus. And he's telling all these stories about Jesus and how he lived. And, and then he continues it into the book of Acts. And, and the book of Acts is, is really kind of, there's Jesus makes an appearance at the beginning. And he kind of sends the church off one more time. And, but then it's the birth of the church. And it's, it's the story of the mechanism that God chose to change the world. It's, it's the story of the thing like God's, okay, here's my plan. The plan is the church. The church is the thing that is going to carry the message of Jesus throughout the world. Here, go, here it goes. 
And it begins these stories. And, and, and remember, we have, we have Peter in, in, in the Acts of, uh, in chapter 3 where they're telling the story of Jesus on the, the steps of the temple. And 3,000 people come to know who Jesus is that day. And this, this movement of the Holy Spirit when Pentecost, the Spirit is just unleashed on the church. And, and just the birth of this organization that, that would just thrive and tell people and care for people and love people the way that Jesus did. And then we get to um, a guy named Saul, right? And, and Saul comes into the picture, and Saul is his Hebrew name, and, and he is a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he, his own, his own lab, label. He, he studied under Gamliel, this amazing rabbi of the day, and he had huge credentials. Like when you walk into like a credential party, he pulls out his wallet, and you ever seen this, you know, all these credentials about how great of a Jew that he is. And, 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 and so he is a leader in the Jewish movement of persecution against the early church, right? But then, of course, you know Saul by his Greek name, Paul. And, and Paul changes from using his Hebrew name to his Greek name because he is called on a very particular mission for God. And, and, and it's a mission where, if you remember, he's walking on the road to Damascus and he's like, woohoo, I'm gonna go kill some, me some Christians. And, and then all of a sudden, blinded. And he hears the voice of Jesus going, hey, I need to have a chat with you, brother. And he launches him into this ministry. And so what Paul does is Paul goes around telling people about Jesus. And, and really, essentially, what, who Paul is, is he's a church planner. I mean, he goes from, from town to town, and, and his, his whole modus operandi is he goes into a town, and he spends a few days getting to kind of know the feel of the town. And then upon Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue. And he goes into the synagogue, and he begins to teach. And he can do this because of the said credentials, Right? He can walk into any synagogue on the face of the earth and go, I'm sorry, do you know who I studied under? Do you know all of my credentials? Yeah, I'm going to speak. And he gets in and he begins to teach people about Jesus. And he begins to tell them about his experience on the road to Damascus. And he begins to share with them this life-changing moment that he had. And then he goes out from there and he builds kind of a base and he goes into the rest of the community. So Paul is moving around the, the area of Asia Minor, around the area of Israel, around this, this Hebrew community, and he's going to synagogue after synagogue, and he's teaching and preaching about Jesus, and he's, and he's winning many people to the Lord and people who are giving their lives over to him. And, and so it's this beautiful movement that Paul is doing. And, and so Paul, he's, as he's moving around, he goes, all right, we're going to go here next. This is Acts in, in chapter 16. He's like, okay, yeah, we're going to go over here. And, and the Holy Spirit goes, um, no. You're not. He like, they try to go into this area, and, and, and he's picked up a few followers at this time. He has Silas with him and Timothy, and, and Luke also are traveling with him. You know that Luke is with Paul anytime Luke says we. By the way, Luke doesn't always stay with Paul on his journeys, and when he's not, he says he. Um, but when he is, he says we. Um, so Paul is with, uh, Luke is with Paul at this time, and, and they're trying to go into this one area where there's another Hebrew community that they want to go see, and, and the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit prevents them from going. And they're like, okay, well, let's just go over there. And it says the Holy Spirit prevents them from going. And then Paul goes to sleep and he, and he has this dream. And, and he sees this man standing in Macedonia across the sea, way over in the pagan land, right? And, and, and he's like, Paul, come and save us. And Paul wakes up and he tells his little traveling band, he's like, hey man, Let's get on a boat because we're going to save the pagans, right? And they get on a boat and they travel. And this is Paul's second missionary journey. And they go across the sea into Macedonia. And, 
And it says this, chapter 16 is where I am, verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day, we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. So right here, we have a few things. Paul is, has just told us about the dream. He's like, okay, so we better go get on a boat and do what God has told us to do. They get on a boat, they go across, they end up in this city, Philippi. Now, Philippi, he calls it a Roman colony. Luke says it was a major city, a Roman colony. Understatements to both. And, and what we know about this is, okay, Philippi is a big city. Philippi is a major city. Philippi was on the Via Ignitia, the, this Ignatian way, this, this place that was this huge road that connected all of Rome. And so in Philippi, you would have the world crossing, people of all nations crossing back and forth. Trade was huge in Philippi. And we also have this term, a Roman colony. So we know that it's a Roman colony. Well, Roman colonies were different than other Roman territories because a Roman colony was purposefully planted. It's kind of hard to say, purposefully planted. It's this Roman colony that, that, um, that what Rome would do is, is they would say, we want an outpost that is Rome somewhere else. So they would plant retired soldiers, these, these men who had fought in battles and won great victories and, and amassed wealth, and they would take them and they would move them into this area and they would plop them down. And they would govern the same way that Rome is governed. And they wouldn't be subject to the local taxes. And so there would be a, a, an opportunity to generate more wealth in this town. And there would be more freedoms as associated with Rome compared to other places. So it was a place that thrived under, under Roman protection, Roman laws, and Roman influence. This is Philippi. It gets its name, incidentally, from Alexander the Great's father, who, uh, who built a big fortress there, named it after himself, and it has a lot of places, uh, a lot of things in history happen in Philippi. But you have this major town where Paul lands. And Paul says, and we stayed there, Luke says, we stayed there several days. Typical Paul move. You go to a new town, you sit for a few days, you get a lay of the land, you wait for the Sabbath, and then you go to the synagogue. But then Luke continues. He says this, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. Wait, what? Well, you always go into the synagogue, Paul. Why changing your plans? Well, what this tells us is that the Jewish community in Philippi was about zero. In order for there to be a synagogue in a town, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men. It didn't have to be like a big synagogue, big building. It could be a synagogue that meets in someone's home. But if you don't have 10 men, you cannot have a synagogue. So we know from this, if Paul didn't go to a synagogue, that means there is no synagogue. And if there is no synagogue, that means that there are not at least 10 Jewish men. Could be nine, still no synagogue. So instead, this hugely pagan Roman town, they go down to the riverside. At the river they sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. See, this was a typical thing. If there was no synagogue, Jews would meet by a riverside. Why a river? It's life water. 
River is living water, and living water is where God lives. And it's so important and integral to the story of the Hebrews, right? Every time something momentous happens, they cross the Red Sea. They cross this water. They cross the Jordan River a couple of times, right? So there's this momentous thing. So you go and you find living water, and you sit by that living water because God lives in things such as this. And you have these moments of prayer. And so they go to find a prayer meeting. And the prayer meeting that they find is all women, women who had gathered there. Let me tell you something. Men, think of the women in your lives. Think of the women who are sitting next to you. Turn and thank them for the faith that they have. That was not rhetorical or without command. Do it now. Because I have to tell you, there is in, church, in the church world, we always know and we plan when Father's Day rolls around, don't print as many bulletins because attendance is going to be low. When Mother's Day comes around, print more because attendance is going to be up. Why? Because women have stronger faith most of the time than men. It is women who carry forward these things unlike men can. It is women who have that uncanny ability to say, this is important and we will not let this go. It is the great women of faith, which is why we have talked about 10 of them this summer. Because these women are the, ba are the banner carriers of faith. They don't get the press that we get, but they are more important in my estimation a lot of times than the men who've carried the banners. Because they are the one behind the scenes, no, no matter what happens, regardless, they don't need the limelight because they just need Jesus, right? And so there is this movement of women that we all need to be appreciative for, and you people should be clapping your hands right now. And this is what Paul finds down by the riverside, are these women. They didn't sit, their husbands weren't there. Clearly there were Jewish women down there because this is what the Jews do. And these Jewish women who are meeting there, there's no synagogue, but there is God. So we are going to, where are the men? Playing golf? I don't know. That hit some of you a little closer to home than you wanted, didn't it? <laughs> Praise Jesus for the six o'clock service. I can tee off early, right? <clears throat> all right. I'm with you. So, so you have these women who are meeting there, who are carrying forward. They're in this pagan world, in this Roman colony where, where, where a synagogue isn't, where the Hebrew God just isn't, but they know he is there. And so you have Paul who goes down there and he meets with them. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. And one of the women that says was named Lydia from Thyatira. Incidentally, where Paul just was. Paul was just in this region. He was just in Thyatira. And he has to go all the way to this pagan world to meet this woman. Now, this woman is not a Hebrew woman. Lydia is a Greek name. So we know that she is Greek. We know that she is from Thyatira. And Thyatira is known for something very particular. And it says this. She was a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with the members of her household. And she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, we just met Lydia. Now, we know a couple of things about Lydia. We know that she's from Thyatira, which is in the world of Hebrews. But we also know that she is a Greek. And we know that she has moved on to a Roman Greek colony so that she can be a businesswoman. She is a businesswoman, it says, a, a merchant of purple dye and cloth. Now, 
that tells us something extraordinary about her. Thyatira is known as a place of this purple dye, this color that is, um, is beautiful. It is a royal color. Anytime you see someone in royalty, they are wearing purple. It is God's color. How do we know this? T-C-U. <laughs> Refram, baby. Wazoo. All right, so... Yeah, we, you have this purple color, but the thing about the purple color is the reason it was so expensive and the reason that the, the kings wore it is to make a point, right? Because it was so hard to get. The purple color, the purple dye that you got only came from these mollusks, these, these little crustacean things, right? So there were these pointy little things that were little, and you had to squeeze them in a certain way in order to get their purple little juice out of them. And then, like blood from the eyes, right? Here we go again. It's this purple juice that you squeeze out of this little crustacean thing. It would take a lot of mollusks to make a purple robe. And so it was very laborious, very expensive. If you were somebody who had a big purple dye business, you were la ha 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 You were wealthy. You were powerful. If you were somebody, because look, I mean, you're not going to see a brother walking down the street wearing a purple suit and go, what? you go, man, that guy looks great, but he also is rich. Because you don't walk down in a purple suit unless you have money. You don't have a business that is doing this unless you are also wealthy. So right there, right there, it tells us two things about her. One, she is extremely wealthy because she is in this business. And two, she must be amazingly powerful because she is a woman who has built an empire. And then the third thing that we learn about her is that she has a heart who worships God. It says right there that she was going down there. This Greek woman, this Lydia, was coming down to the river on the Sabbath and sitting with these Hebrew women because it says she worshiped God. Now what, what that means is that she was a, 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 a Greek person, a, a Gentile, who was just really attracted to God. She, she hadn't converted to Judaism. She wasn't a Jew. She was just somebody who had this heart that just was ripe for God and, and loved God. And so when Paul finds her there, he shares his message. Let me tell you about the Messiah. Let me tell you about this guy, Jesus. Let me tell you about who I was and what he did for me. People say you did it to me when you blinded me. No, no, no. He did it for me. And let me tell you about life with Jesus is like. And, and it, it says that Lydia, that God drew her into himself. I love this. It's such a beautiful picture because a lot of times what we think is, is that God's love is over, overpowering and, and, and that the grace of God pushes sinners down. But instead, what the grace of God does is, is the grace of God draws us into his presence. Right? Lydia was at this point in her life where she was ready to hear who Jesus Christ truly was. She was ready to, she had worshiped God, but she was just she was on the edge and, and Paul just like knocks on the window that was already open. And God just brings her in. And then immediately, what does she do? She gets baptized and she tells other people about him. She brings her entire household. Again, we know that she's wealthy now. She has a household and an entire household to bring to be baptized. She doesn't hold it to herself. She explodes with the joy that comes with knowing Jesus. She explodes with this knowledge of, oh my gosh, I finally get it. It's lying into place for me. 
Erwin McManus in one of his books calls um, early Christians or people who, who believe in Jesus, it, like right at the beginning, these baby Christians, he calls them the same thing that you call a baby rhinoceros. Does anyone know what you call a baby rhinoceros? A crash. Do you know why? Because baby rhinoceri, that's right, run very fast, like 25 miles an hour, but they can only see two feet in front of themselves. So they go wham and run into stuff a lot, which is why God gives them those really big noses. They go, whoa, shake it off. When baby Christians, when you experience this gift of life for the first time, a lot of times his point is that, that people just run forward. Oh my gosh, you have to know what Jesus did for me. And they have this passion that just exudes from them because they know where they have been and they know where they are and they know where they're going. And Lydia was in this place. Lydia was in this place so much, she brings her whole household, and we don't know who her household was. We know that it was servants, had to have had servants. She may have had kids. She may have been a widow and inherited the business and run the business successfully and, and brought her kids in and all that. We, we don't know. But she brings everybody that is under her roof to know Jesus and to be baptized. And then, and then she says, but you guys need to come stay at my house. Like, whew, Scandalous, right? These four men, these four strangers, these four Jews who just sauntered into town a few days ago, all of a sudden she meets them by the river. They talk about this guy, Jesus. She's like, come on over to my house. It's like, what? That's just not right. But she says, if you find in me a heart of someone who truly believes, then you will come to my house. Come stay with me. And what does Luke say? Luke says that she wouldn't relent until they said yes. She urged us until we said yes. A lot of translations say she begged us. Please come and stay with me. Look, I'm telling you, there's four of you. I know there's probably others coming with you too because every rabbi like Paul would have had five or six guys following him. Plenty of room. No, 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 seriously. I have one of the biggest houses in town. <laughs> Man, do you know what I do for a living? I'm a purple merchant. I have a huge house. It is built for this reason. Like, like you, don't, you don't understand. It would bless me if you came and stayed at my house. Help me to experience more of God by coming and staying with me. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and whom else, whoever else is with them come and they stay with her. But then, if you remember the rest of the story, right, Paul and, and Silas, they go out and they're preaching a lot and, and they cast this demon out of this little girl, this slave girl that causes her owner to be really upset with him and he causes a big riot. They get thrown in prison. I'm fast forwarding a lot here. They're in prison. There's a big earthquake. The jail cells open up, remember, and the, and the jailer's about to kill himself because he's like, his job is to keep the people in. And, and Paul goes, whoa, dude, we're still, settle down, man. We're still here. Like, we're just singing worship songs. We're not going anywhere. And the jailer's like, whoa, how is this? And Paul goes, let me tell you about Jesus. And the jailer gives his life to Christ right there, brings his whole family in. He goes, listen to this guy's story, right? And they all are baptized. They all come to know who Jesus is. And then Paul gets let out. He goes, oh, by the way, Roman citizen, right? He always drops that card at the end, which I love that about Paul. And they're like, ah, and they, they let him go. And, and he, he goes, and it says at the very end of chapter 16 that he goes back to Lydia's house. And he meets with the believers there, 
and he encourages them. And then he goes on. You see, what Paul was doing is planting a church at Lydia's house. Paul was, it says that they were there for a number, many number of days. And during that time, Paul is doing what Paul always does. He goes around the community telling people about Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus? Have you met the Messiah? Let me share my story. And he gets into that community and he starts spreading the love of Jesus Christ. And he builds this community and this church. And he goes back to that church after he gets out of prison. And that church meets at a woman's house. That church meets at Lydia's. She is the number one convert to Christianity in Europe. Very first person who ever understands who Jesus Christ is, the very first person in Europe who gives their life to Jesus Christ is Lydia. Number one, like I don't know if we get to heaven and we have a number on us, like, like where, where, where we fall in the number of Christians, like I'm, I'm gonna be in the billion somewhere down there, right? You walk up to her like, hey, one? Number one in Europe, and the first church too. And from that church, from that birth, from that first conversion, God is enabled to spread Christianity across Europe, to build the church in such a way that missionaries would travel across the ocean to come here and to tell people about Jesus Christ so that one day people would go downtown San Antonio and plant a flag for Jesus, and then it would spread out into the suburbs, and then in 1957, they said, Jesus Christ lives here too. From that first church comes our church. From that first expression of faith to someone outside of the Hebrew religion comes this moment right here. And it was all because a woman said yes, yes, to God, yes to Jesus Christ, and yes to being used for the kingdom of heaven. Because you see, it was, it was her whole business, her whole success, all the wealth that she had that enabled her to build a house where she could care for the first church. And it was all because she was willing to let God move through her. You know what I'm talking about? It's talking about being used by God to give glory to Him. It's talking about finding your place in the kingdom of heaven. There's two things I want you to take from this. One is the importance of what Lydia was doing that enabled her to find this place in the first place. She was meeting in a small group. She was down by the riverside with a group of women talking about God. She was praying and worshiping and talking about God. I cannot tell you the importance of small groups in the life of faith because it binds you together with people who believe as you do. And when you're going through those rough times, they lift you up and you get to lift them up in their dark days as well. You get to experience God and grow in your relationship with Him and knowledge of Him. Small groups are so important. Our semester starts next week. If you're not in a small group, find a small group. Come talk to Pastor Troy. He will help you find one. Man, if you feel like it, lead one. It's not that hard, trust me, I lead one. You're already meeting with a group of people. Maybe you meet with somebody every Wednesday morning and you're like, hey man, let's go play tennis every Wednesday morning. Great, pray before you hit that first shot like I have to do every time I serve. 
Help us teach you to shape that in a different light. Small groups are so important. Without that small group, Lydia would have missed the opportunity to know who Jesus is. And the second thing is this, when she finally understood who Jesus was and when she jumped all in, she jumped all in. She said, everything I have is now yours. Doesn't say that she sold her business. In fact, chances are she kept it going so that she could support the church. She was uniquely placed in in an area. She was uniquely gifted and graced. She was uniquely given these talents so that God could get glory through Philippi. And see, she's no different than you. You have been uniquely gifted and graced. You have been uniquely placed in an area and given an opportunity to give him glory through the way that he has created you. Some of you might be like Lydia and you might have crazy wealth and you might have a giant house where you can host a lot of small groups and prayer revivals and all those things. And you might have the gift of generosity and and your resources are what really enable us to do all the things that we do and you give. And that is wonderful, great. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for experiencing God's grace through that. But that's not all of you. Some of you have the gift of singing. Some of you have like these golden pipes that you only let go in the shower, but God's like, man, I didn't get it through the shower. I got you that so that you could stand up here and let other people catch fire by your voice. Some of you have the gift of hospitality and and when you walk into the room, people just go, I am so glad that she is here now. Everything's going to be okay, right? God didn't give you that gift so that you could throw great dinner parties. Maybe he did, but he did it for the Jesus sake too, right? God gave you that gift so you could use it for his kingdom. And we have this growth track that we're launching again September, September 1st. And it's gonna happen every Sunday. Every first Sunday will be step one. Every second Sunday, step two. Every third, step three. Every fourth, step four. And in those things, this is not about membership. I don't care if you join our church. What I care about is if you find your place in the kingdom of heaven. What I care about is if you find and discover that purpose that you have. What I care about is once you know Jesus Christ, that's the first thing, is to find your place in his kingdom. Because if you don't, you will lose so much. That is what this is about. It is about, look, I don't need you to serve here. I don't need you to serve on our prayer team. I don't need you to serve on the stage. I don't need you to sing in the choir. I don't need you to be an usher or a parking person or a greeter. You need to be an usher. You need to serve on the prayer team. You need to serve on the worship team. You need to serve God because when you do, you will find more life, trust me, you will find more life and happiness than you could ever imagine. When you find that place, when you say, God, you have gifted me with this business and I can use my voice from this business to give you glory. Oh, God, you have given me these skills. You know that there were seven people in here yesterday praying for you? We had seven people show up at 4.30 yesterday. August was here and she led us through a couple of worship songs. And then I got up and kind of did a brief little teaching, little direction thing. And, And then we spread throughout the room. Seven incidentally is the complete number, right? So God had the exact number of people he wanted in here. And they went around and people were touching your seats and your pews and praying for you. That's right, praying for the butt that would sit there on the next day. And saying, God, may you be revealed to this person like never before. God, may you speak into their lives something that they need to hear. God, may you move in ways that only you can move not for the glory of our church, not for the glory of St. Andrews, not for the glory of the idiot who leads us Sunday by Sunday, but for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen or I'm gonna keep going.
this is what this is about. It is about coming to know Jesus Christ and then finding our place in the kingdom of heaven. And today is the day you do that. Everybody stand up. Come on, get up. The ushers are coming forward and we're doing our offertory, but I'm gonna offer something else. Yes, we, 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 we love that you're a generous church. We thank you so much for the ways that you give. If you're a first time guest here, put, keep your wallet in your pants, man. This isn't for you. This is for the people that, that operate and live here and, and move through this place, right? And we thank you, God, for all that you've given us and we take a moment to give back to you. But I'm, I'm gonna ask the prayer team, they're gonna come on either side as they always do. They're gonna be in the back on the other side. I was just told uh, by women who are stronger in faith than me. So then they're gonna be up front and back. They're gonna be everywhere. Look for somebody who looks like a prayer. Are you on the prayer team? And everybody say, yes, I am, right? And I want you to pray to release the things that you think are holding you back from entering into a full experience. God is whispering to you right now, come close to me. Just as he did to Lydia, come close to me. Come into my life, come into my heart. And if today is the day that this is the decision, that that's your first step, is to say, I give my life to you, then you go pray that with those folks. But if you already know Jesus, if you were like Lydia a long time ago, and maybe God's whispering into your heart or shouting in your ear, today is the day that you step forward and get active in my kingdom, because I need you. God needs you. Yes, God created the world, the heavens and the earth, but he also created you for a reason. Maybe today is the day that you find the place serve the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.